Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. The impeachment trial of President Donald Trump gets underway, a trial and process he has called fake, a hoax, and a witch hunt. The Congressman Eric Swalwell of California says the president is absolutely incorrect. As a member of both the House Judiciary and House Intelligence Committees, Swalwell has been smack in the middle of the third impeachment of a president of the United States. Listen to him break it all down right now. Congressman Swalwell, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me on. So the trial in the Senate begins. The president has already gone on record as calling it fake, a sham, a hoax. We're all used to the word of him calling the whole impeachment process a witch hunt. You were in, were in the unique spot of being both on judiciary and intelligence. Has this whole thing been a witch hunt, a hoax, a sham, fake? Anything but that. And actually, what's so remarkable is that with so few witnesses and so few documents, we were able to prove so much. Uh, and I, I told Dan Goldman, our, our lead investigator who'd worked for the Southern District of New York on so many high-profile cases, I said, Dan, you probably never in your life have had a case uh, of such great magnitude with so little to work with because the president wouldn't give us any witnesses, wouldn't give us any documents. Uh, but what is revealing is that every time we get a new document, not from the president, usually like a public request or someone comes forward with it, or every time we find a new witness, they all reinforce what we believe to know, that the president was running this shakedown scheme. We've never seen a witness come forward or a new document produced that goes in the other direction. It, it continues to reinforce uh, this shakedown scheme. Well, I was about to ask you, you said you were able to get these documents through other means and testimony that you know we were able to prove so much. What was proven? Yeah. So we proved that you know the president from as early as the beginning of 2019 uh, was running this shakedown scheme with the Ukrainians where he was insisting that uh, they had to, even as far back as President Poroshenko before President Zelensky was elected, uh, that they would have to conduct investigations to receive U.S. aid and investigations that would only benefit the president, not benefit any American because it would relate to his political campaign. And so we saw that the president was at the center of this scheme. He wasn't you know, an ancillary beneficiary of the scheme, that he was uh, directing the scheme. We saw that he ordered Rudy Giuliani to really run this uh, scheme. And you saw through Gordon Sondland and Kurt Volker uh, that the president said, you know, work with Rudy uh, when it comes to Ukraine. You saw in the New York Times, uh, Rudy Giuliani said back in May 2019, we're not meddling in an election, we're meddling in an investigation. And uh, the we part there is so important because he's not talking about himself, he's talking about he and President Trump. Uh, and then, of course, through the witnesses who did have the courage to come forward, uh, we saw through Dr. Fiona Hill and Lieutenant Colonel Vindman that there was a connection between investigations and the Ukrainians getting a White House meeting. And then, of course, through Sondland, we later learned, and Mulvaney, uh, that it was also tied to Ukrainians getting the aid. So with very little, uh, we saw the president put his own interests above ours, above our national security and election integrity. So you mentioned Fiona Hill, um, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, Ambassador Sondland, a person who didn't testify then, but who we're hearing a lot from now is Lev Parnas. 
Why didn't he testify during the hearings in both judiciary and intelligence? You know, Mr. Parnas uh, was indicted uh, for campaign finance crimes uh, during the early stages of our investigation. And, you know, as I understand it, uh, you know, he had, you know, many of his electronic devices and documents and records seized by uh, the Southern District of New York prosecutors and did not have documents that he could produce to us and did not give us documents uh, until just this past weekend. And our investigators, you know, who've already got a lot of things to work with, were able to go through a lot of devices and documents uh, to produce some records that also reinforce that, again, there was a priority on getting uh, the Ukrainians to do investigations, that Rudy Giuliani, uh, again, was acting as Donald Trump's agent, uh, and that Marie Ivanovich was someone that they had to smear and clear uh, to run this corruption ca- campaign. Um, do you believe Lev Parnas? Because there are folks um, within the Republican Party who are casting doubt on what he has to say, casting doubt on his role. The president is out there saying, I may have been in a picture with the guy, but I, I hardly know the guy. Yeah. Is, I, is he credible? I would not necessarily believe Lev Parnas, but I believe his documents. And I believe the witnesses around him that corroborate what he has to say. So if he was the only person saying what he's saying, I would be highly skeptical. But he's not. Uh, we have phone records of Lev Parnas. We see him in contact with Rudy Giuliani at the time that Yovanovitch is being smeared. We see him in contact with Chairman Nunes, uh, who is also connected to the White House uh, in many ways. We see uh, Lev Parnas uh, in the notes that he provided is surveilling Ambassador Yovanovitch. We see notes about running investigations. Well, let me stop you yeah. on that surveilling Ambassador Yovanovitch. Do you believe that? You know, the president uh, said on the July 25 phone call that she's going to go through some things. Uh, That's the mob talk the president often uses. uh, And and those are the tactics he uses. And so, yeah, I I do believe uh, that. But again, as a a former prosecutor, a witness like Parnas, you would really want to, you know, be careful unless you had documents and other witness accounts that can corroborate it. And I think here uh, you do. And, you know, when I when I listened to him on the Rachel Maddow show, talk about how humiliating it was to be frog marched out of his house in the dark hours of the morning by the FBI. And he has to walk by this Trump shrine that he's built with all the donations he's made that he was humiliated and that his wife uh, was embarrassed. Uh, And you just have to think that the country that he comes from, you know, being as corrupt as it is, Ukraine and being a part of the, you know, Soviet bloc when he was there, if you were making contributions or helping out a leader, you would be protected. Uh, Fortunately, we have a rule of law here where the FBI is still independent of the president, so he's not going to get away with it. And I think you can just see as he's talking about that humiliation, he's realizing Donald Trump is not going to protect him. He's being arrested for contributions he's made uh, to the Trump team. And then, of course, in the public campaign, Trump is throwing him overboard saying he doesn't even know the guy. So it's his pride, I think, more than anything that's probably driving him coming forward. You know, something that's interesting is how long the Justice Department has had all of this Parnas information that's been revealed. Is it surprising to you that the Justice Department, that is run by Attorney General Bill Barr, who has basically turned himself into the president's personal lawyer, are you surprised that Bill Barr's Justice Department is allowing this to happen? Well, I, I would just say first, in, in defense of prosecutors, you know, they don't move on political timetables and they certainly don't let 
you know, defendants drive, you know, when records are released. Uh, so I would typically give them the benefit of the doubt that if they're still working this investigation, if they're looking at other characters, they don't want evidence out in the public that could compromise, you know, investigations they may be running. However, there are, there are real reasons to ask, what is Bill Barr's involvement in this case? Is he peeking into the files uh, or, you know, have his hands into the investigation of SDNY prosecutors? SDNY prosecutors are notoriously fiercely independent. And I would just hope that we would hear about that uh, if Bill Barr was doing that. But I, I think, you know, we need to know. And uh, if Bill Barr, you know, had the guts to come to Congress and he refuses to do so, that's a question we could ask. Well, you're a former prosecutor. What does your gut tell you? I, you know, I, I asked a, a former SDNY prosecutor this very question a couple of weeks ago. And he told me, uh, knowing SDNY, that he thinks that if there was any meddling in their investigations that because of their reputation and how much they treasure that reputation, you'd probably hear them speaking out. So I want to hope that's uh, still true. So my, my gut right now is that those prosecutors are probably holding on tight to those cases. But at the, at, at the end of the day, you know, bar high profile indictments, bar is going to have to sign off on those. And so the question is, you know, is he green lighting or red lighting any high-profile indictments that that evidence could lead to. You know, one of the things that the Parnas information r- reveals is that things are still happening. SDNY is still active. There are still investigations going on. And so I'm wondering, what recourse does the Judiciary Committee have in response to the Parnas information? I mean, could we see a situation where the committee calls him in for testimony? Well, we want to certainly hear from Barr and anyone at justice to talk about whether that independence is still there, that those prosecutors can do their work. Now, with Parnas, you know, we believe that the forum that's most appropriate right now for any relevant witness as it relates to impeachment is the Senate, and that Parnas really illuminates why the Senate should have relevant witnesses testify. And of course, the, the four that we see are uh, Bolton, uh, Mulvaney, Blair and Duffy. Those are the four most relevant, but I think Parnas is making a pretty good case uh, that he too has relevant information. But we do not want to rule out that on the House side with the subpoena power uh, that we could bring in people like Bolton, uh, who said he would respond now to a subpoena or people like Parnas. Mm -hmm. So with the trial beginning in the Senate um, and the House managers making the case, what can we expect? Yeah. First, just a insistence upon having a fair trial Uh, you know and that starts tuesday right so tuesday uh, is when this trial is essentially going to begin in earnest you know the rules will be voted on as far as you know the procedures for witnesses and so really insisting that witnesses like bolton and others uh, can testify uh, that'll be first and foremost you only need 51 maybe 50 senators you know there's this debate about uh, if it's 50 and it's a tie if the chief justice can break the tie. Vice President Pence cannot be a part of the proceedings. He's kind of conflicted uh, out uh, as a vice president in an impeachment proceeding. So do you need three or four senators on the Republican side to come forward uh, for these witnesses? I I was encouraged to see Senator uh, Romney uh, early in the week make the call that he wants Bolton to testify. Senator Collins seems to suggest that she would be there. So you're about, you know, one or two away from being able to get those types of witnesses. And I, I really believe that if witnesses like those come in, this trend of witnesses beget witnesses, documents beget documents will continue to prove true. 
And it doesn't help the president. It helps the case that we made from the beginning that he put his interest above America's. Can an argument be made that the president indeed got a fair trial, even if witnesses don't testify? America won't get a fair trial if witnesses uh, don't testify. And I think that's what's most important uh, is that both the president and Americans get a fair trial. As we know with this president, he's all about the theater. He's all about the picture as it appears on television. He is, has been said many times he is producing a television show every day. Would you be surprised if the president threw a wrench into everything and either decided to change up his legal team? And you can tell me if, if he would be able to do that midstream or... And this is not out of the realm of the possible, given who we're talking about, just deciding to show up and testify on his own behalf. There were moments during the impeachment inquiry in the House where part of me, you know, every time the door opened, <laughs> you were I was wondering if the guy's going to walk through uh, and just bring the theatrics more into the room, uh, you know, in addition to what he's had going for him with the Republican side. So, yeah, I. You think back, this is the person who, you know, when we all thought he was down and out uh, with the uh, the Billy Bush uh, tapes, three days later, he's in a debate with Secretary Clinton and he brings Bill Clinton's accuser. So oh, he, right. he doubles down with uh, theatrics. And I, th- I think you have to be, you know, prepared for those types uh, of stunts. But I don't think that ultimately helps him because either he would be admitting what he did and saying, I'm allowed to do that, is he's, that's been his defense all along. This was a perfect call. And I, I just don't think people are ready to say that this was a perfect call. Or he would have to offer a defense that has contradicted everything he's said, you know, in the past six months about this case. So I, I don't really, I, I think he ultimately does not appear. And is a good question. Can he change up his legal team? Generally, there's a preference to give a defendant wide latitude in who their legal team is, uh, meaning like you want this case to go to a verdict without a defendant saying, well, I didn't have the team I wanted. This was unfair to me. So even if it's someone like Rudy Giuliani, who clearly has a conflict, it's probably best to just let him have the legal team he wants so that he can't cry foul that you know you deprive me of the due process of having uh, my own team. He's been, the president has been saying, you know, it's, you were saying the perfect call. He also says, read the transcript. I'm mystified by the fact that he keeps telling people to read the transcript and those who actually read it can't possibly come away thinking that that was a perfect call and that that was a clean call. And this is where you know it's complete bullshit when he says the reason he won't let witnesses come forward is executive privilege. That all of a sudden this president who has shown no real concern for the Constitution doesn't really understand how Congress or our legal system works is the greatest defender of executive privilege. If that was the case, if he cared so much about not opening the door on releasing executive privilege, he would not have released the call transcript. That's He would have put his foot down there and said, no, I'm not releasing the call. I care so much about executive privilege because he can make the same argument for that transcript as he's making for these documents and the witnesses he won't let come forward. But in his mind, in his corrupt mind, in the way he presides over our country, he thinks he can do that. He thinks he has a right 
to do that. So I, I think he does indeed think it's a perfect call. But I think he's also realized once he released that transcript how damning it was and how much it propelled this inquiry that he's not dumb enough to allow any witnesses to come forward. So he was confident and corrupt enough to put the call transcript out there because I think he just thinks I'm allowed to do that. But he was also aware at the backlash he received. And this guy, more than anything, he knows public opinion. And he saw the public support for his impeachment dramatically went up when that call transcript came out. And I think that's why he's trying to you know, stop the dam uh, from mm-hmm. bursting with any more witnesses or documents. I mean, the reason why we know about this call or the call transcript is because of a whistleblower. And so I'm just wondering what happened with the whistleblower and actually have more come forward. I don't even know if you can answer that yeah. last that. So I can tell you that question. we uh, we receive, you know, whistleblower uh, complaints often uh, at the Intelligence Committee. Uh, and and when, when we do, uh, we direct them. Uh, to the proper uh, agencies that where they come from, uh, the inspectors general uh, at their agencies, uh, if they come to us, you know, inadvertently or they they think that we're the place to go, uh, so it's not unusual that we would have a whistleblower come to us. In this case, the whistleblower, I think, through their counsel, it looked like early on wanted to uh, testify at least in a, a closed session to Congress, but you know, once the president started making the threats uh, that he did and, and making the comparisons to, you know, we used to essentially execute traitors for good reasons the whistleblower feared for their own life and, and likely the life of people they knew. And so uh, at the same time, we were getting other courageous witnesses to come forward who corroborated what the whistleblower said. So we saw it as, well, the whistleblower is essentially redundant. This is like a person who pulled the fire alarm because there was smoke in the building and when the fire department showed up they saw that the building was collapsing and you know there were flames and didn't really need to ask at that point like who pulled the fire alarm there was a fire and interviewing the whistleblower would only uh, jeopardize that person's uh, safety so we figured it wasn't any longer necessary so when speaker pelosi announced the house managers and your name was not among them i put out a tweet that said actually it's a good thing that Congressman Swalwell is not a house manager because that means he is free to go on television and sort of make the case before the American people when they're at home watching television who might not be watching the trial. Are you disappointed that you're not among the house managers? Well, I'm going to help the team uh, any way that I can. And I've done that on the Judiciary and Intelligence Committee. Honestly, you know, I've I've been asked that question and, and the way I see it, it's not about me. It's about what the president did. And, you know, my focus is to do all I can to help that team that we have, that talented team that's over in the Senate right now, convict and remove the president. And how likely do you think that is? Give us the witnesses and the documents. He's going to be removed. If you block the witnesses, uh, then the senators will, in the short term, you know, have an alibi for not holding him accountable. But I think in the long term, uh, if they do that, uh, you'll see a Democratic majority in the Senate uh, for the same reasons that we got one uh, in the House, which was that uh, the public uh, wanted to have accountability. Congressman Eric Swalwell of the great state of California, thank you very much for being on the podcast. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.